WGNS Murfreesboro, W270AF Murfreesboro, W263AI Murfreesboro, Smyrna, The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. Right now that time, 819, you're listening to WGNS again on this Thursday morning. Today is the 17th of November, and our guest in studio this morning is Justin Stefanski from the UT Agriculture Extension Service, and I guess what the proper name, UT TSU Agriculture Extension Service? Well, the agriculture sometimes is used, sometimes not. So UT uh, TSU Extension is usually what we call ourselves. We do a lot more than agriculture these days. So That's true. That's true. It, it, it's a mouthful nonetheless. It is, absolutely. <laughs> so what I guess is happening this time of the year when it comes to folks working on their lawns, their garden, all that? A lot of folks are staring out the window wishing they could be outside this morning, I think. Uh, It is extremely chilly this morning. Uh, But, you know, this time of year is a great time for for prepping for next year, doing some garden planning, but also cleaning up this past season. Uh, You know, a lot of times if we have tree... Uh, shrubs, diseases, and things like that, those leaves will fall into our garden area, and it's important to kind of clean those up. So I always tell folks, if you have uh, any leaf litter or debris that you know you had a disease problem, try to go out there, rake those up, and really the best thing to do is to burn them. Now, I'm not advocating to go out and rake up all your leaves and burn them, because certainly that's not what we want, but if you know you had a disease issue or an insect problem, try to minimize how much of that is retained in the garden for next year. Yeah, what what else can we do with these leaves? Because We've got, I mean, I know I have tons of leaves literally everywhere, so composting, can we use them somehow in the garden? What what can we do with them other than, I don't know, burning them or trashing them? I love composting. Composting to me is the most... uh Per, per, perfect use for that leaf litter that we have in our yards. I know in my yard at home, I have probably about 20 large oak trees. And I spent this past weekend just raking and blowing those leaves up into big piles. And I'm, I'm going to add them to composted areas in my yard. So, uh, you know, leaves themselves will break down. It's always good to add in a green material. So if you have grass clippings to add to those leaves, that will help increase the, the breakdown of that uh, leaf litter. But using it as a weed barrier in your landscaping beds, I know in my backyard I have big landscape beds. Well, I'll put the leaves in there on top. And again, it's a natural mulch. It'll help control the weeds, and eventually it'll help feed those plants as well. As those leaves break down, they release nutrients back into our soil that our trees and shrubs love to have. So Again with us this morning, Extension Agent Justin Stefanski. And if you are uh, thinking about asking a question, if you have something on your mind in regards to your lawn or garden, feel free to call it in or text it in 615-893-1450. Again, 615-893-1450. Call or text us with any questions you may have. Uh, Some of the programs that are coming up this time of year are what? So the big one that we have that's in my world, at least, is the Master Gardener Program. So the Tennessee Extension Master Gardener Program is uh, taking applications currently for the Rutherford County uh, Association. We'll be taking applications through December 1st. So we've still got a few weeks left, and we still have a couple of spots open in our course. So uh, what we're taking applications for is the intern training course, and that will begin in January. So it's a 14-week series of intensive training, and you're going to get to learn a little bit about everything from soils all the way into landscape 
landscaping design, uh, plant pathology, grass, pretty much you name it, vegetables, flowers. Uh, so that course will run all the way through May 2nd. So it starts January 31st through May 2nd. Uh, it's $175, and that's just your entry point into the Master Gardener program. Once you take the intern training course, then there's the expectation that you do volunteer service. That's really the mission of the Master Gardener program is to, to contribute back to society and to help educate others with the materials and knowledge that you've gained throughout the program. We're always hearing about different master gardeners who are speaking at different events and, and helping out in different ways, but it looks like the Master Gardener program is a really good hands-on program, and I'm sure it really teaches a lot as well. You hit the nail on the head with hands-on. That's kind of our new method of teaching is to not only give folks in-classroom training, but also give them that experiential learning process. And, and a lot, you know, our members have interests that are so varying and wide and, and diverse that if, if you're interested in any part of the gardening world, we're going to have something for you. Uh, and, and really the aim of the, the program is for you to take that knowledge and to share it with others. So if you have a passion for uh, helping others or sharing your knowledge, this is definitely a program that I would highly encourage you to get involved with. We had a question, and again, folks can text us questions at 615-893-1450. But this person says they're new to the area and would like to work on becoming a master gardener, but have little experience in the garden as of now. So I, I guess, can you literally go from nothing to becoming a master gardener? Absolutely. You know, that's one of the things when people hear that word master, they may get discouraged and say, well, I'm no master of anything gardening wise. That is okay. Uh, you know, the beauty of this program is you can literally have one hour of gardening knowledge or none whatsoever. Uh, the, the program caters to educational levels of all gardening uh, experience. So if you are new to the area, this is going to be an excellent program for you because it's going to be specific Tennessee gardening information. You're going to learn exactly what's going on here, what type of soils we have, what type of pests we have, what you can grow here. So I highly encourage folks, regardless of their educational gardening level, uh, to, to get involved with the Master Gardener program. So that program of becoming a Master Gardener from start to finish, about how many classes, how many hours are we looking at? So the classes will be, there'll be 14 class sessions, and these will take place at the Lane Agri Park Ag Center there at my office. Uh, they'll be on Tuesday mornings from 9 to noon. So that's the first section. Basically, it'll be a three-hour class for, for 14 weeks. It'll run from January 31st through May 2nd. And then after that, the expectation is that you do 40 hours of volunteer service within that first year of taking that course. Once you do that 40 hours of volunteer work, that's when you become a certified Tennessee Extension Master Gardener. You get a very fancy green badge and you can officially call yourself a Master Gardener. Now every year after that to maintain your certification, it's only 25 hours of volunteer service. And we have a wide array of volunteer projects uh, that you can get involved with and participate, whether it be working in the demonstration gardens there at the Lane Agri Park Center or teaching classes. We have many classes that take place without the community at St. Clair Senior Center, at the library, uh, within schools. So regardless of what your interest area is, whether it be pulling weeds or talking to folks, we've got something for you to get plugged into from a volunteer perspective. I, I know just a few weeks ago at the Agriculture Center here in Murfreesboro on John R. Rice Boulevard, you guys had a special event where folks came out and, and literally uh, picked off the vine the grapes and all of that because you guys have a, a fairly big vineyard out yes. there. But I know Master Gardeners were involved in helping people kind of learn how to how to prune, how to go about 
getting grapes off the vine. Uh, how did all that go? So the, the vineyard that's there at the Ag Park there has been there for years. Uh, it was started with MTSU in collaboration with Dr. Tony Johnston there at MTSU in the Agricultural Department, one of my former professors. And basically it was a project to show folks how you can grow grapes in Tennessee. At that time, the vineyard industry in our state was starting to really boom. And if you think about places like Arrington Vineyards and some of the Beans Creeks wineries, those were really starting to take off. So we wanted to highlight not only from a commercial perspective, but just from a backyard perspective. What can folks do if they have just a couple of grape plants on a trellis? Uh, and the project has really blossomed. So now every fall, we have a community-wide event where folks can come in, harvest grapes, and then MTSU brings the juicing equipment, and you walk away with fresh-squeezed grape juice. I think next year I've heard mentioned that folks will have the option to either take the juice or just take the, the grape clusters themselves but it you know we get several hundred folks every fall that come out there and it is a wonderful opportunity for families and folks that if you just want to learn a little bit about uh, vineyards and grape production that's a great opportunity to come out and visit with us you know it's it's pretty wild when you think about it how vineyards have grown in tennessee over the last 10 to 15 years because not too long ago rarely would you ever see a vineyard in tennessee then all of a sudden it's like overnight they're everywhere that's a fact and i think that's a, a metaphor for what we've seen in the mid-state and across the state here with the growth and development you know more folks were moving into the area from other places we had a lot of money a lot of investment taking place and the reality of it is is that we can grow grapes here uh, and we've got some varieties that are, do very well here and I think that people are, have caught on to it. So it's, it's always surprising to me when I go out and do home visits for folks, how many people are now having uh, a small little grape trellis in their garden. And, and it's good to see that. I, I enjoy seeing grapes. Uh, of course, over the years, we, we've had a lot of people move here from the West Coast and on the West Coast, Napa Valley. People pay thousands of dollars to take a train ride through Napa Valley and stop at different vineyards along the way. Do you think ever, I don't know, will, will we ever see something like that here where people are traveling across the state going from vineyard to vineyard? I think it's already happening, actually. I know that there's a Tennessee grape tour, uh, and it basically is self-guided, but I think that in years in the future, I think we're going to see more and more of the agritourism. I think that's that's not a new word, but it's been around for a while. But folks are really catching on that this is a great way to spend an afternoon, to get out, to see the countryside, especially if you're new to the area. A lot of these vineyards and wineries are still in some of the more rural areas of our state, beautiful spots to go and visit. So I certainly think it's already happening, and I think it will continue to increase in popularity as we go forward. So this uh, the spark in interest in, in vineyards, and wine, you know, it, it's nationwide. It's not just, of course, here, but you are hearing about it everywhere. But what do you think sparked it? You know, I don't know, to be honest with you. I think folks are just getting back to nature. I think they want to be back out and see where their food comes from. I think that's a lot of it. I think that people are just very, they're, they're from a consumer standpoint, they're more educated and they want to see, hey, where where's my where's the food that I'm consuming coming from? And I think vineyards are a great place to see, hey, this, I'm looking at the vines. I see the fruit on the vine. They're producing, harvesting, and making the wine on site. So I think for folks, it, it really brings them back to, you know, what humans would have seen for thousands and thousands of years, the food process. So I think folks are fascinated in that. Uh, and it's, it's just a wonderful opportunity for folks to see the entire agricultural process happen. This next uh, question here, this person says that they have had a garden each year and they routinely have problems with deer. They live further out in the county, but they routinely have problems with deer coming into their garden. Is there anything they can do during the winter months to start preparing for ways to keep the deer out of the area? 
You know, the best thing for deer, now, if you go to some of the big box stores, there'll be a lot of products that say deer away, or people will take human hair clippings and sprinkle them around the garden. And unfortunately, a lot of those things don't really work. Like uh, old wives tells them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I've never even heard of people urinating around their garden. I don't recommend <laughs> that for various reasons. What's Mike doing out there? Well? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this is not something that's going to keep the deer away. The best thing that you can really do to keep deer away is fencing. And a lot of times, folks will put up a single wire. They'll put a single wire around their garden maybe an electrified wire but really it takes more than one a lot of times a deer will they'll put their nose down low to the ground and if they feel a wire there with some hot electricity running through it they're not as prone to jump over but if you've got one about a foot and a half two feet off the ground and another wire maybe four feet off the ground uh, that seems to be the best most effective way to keep the deer out now it takes a little work to put up a fence and it doesn't have to be an electric fence but if you've got a garden that's worth keeping i certainly would look into doing at least a, a two-wire fence system of some kind so that'd be a, a good project to do when you're not gardening during the colder months absolutely now i don't necessarily recommend going out there this morning it's a little <laughs> chilly but you know we should have some nice winter days here and that would be an excellent wintertime project again extension agent justin stefanski with us this morning and if you have any questions feel free to call or text them in 615-893-1450. Now, I know before coming to Rutherford County, you, you live here, but before coming to Rutherford County's Extension Service, you were in Wilson County. Yes. Are there that many differences between, let's say, the dirt in, in gardening between Wilson County and Rutherford County? Because I always heard so much clay here in Rutherford County. So dirt is what we track in on the bottom of our shoes, and soil is what we grow plants in. I've always been correct. point. Oh, the gardeners <laughs> always correct me of that, but that's one of those old sayings. But, you know, there, there's not a whole lot of difference. Now, in Wilson County, if you think about it, there's a lot more of the cedar glade habitat. So we have plenty of that here. I live in Rockvale, and, and I think it got its name for the, for the rocks that are in abundance there. But Wilson County has a lot more of the cedar glade-type habitat. So we've all seen the areas where it's the eastern red cedars, it's the exposed limestone. They happen to be some of the most biologically diverse areas in our state, but a lot of folks will see that as a, this is a spot where I can't grow anything. Now we have some of that in, in Rutherford County, but the reality of it is, is that we either have really good soils here or we have very shallow, hard clay. Now you can grow in clay, it just takes a little special effort to amend those soils and add organic matter. That's that, that leafy tissues that fall onto the surface and they create that nice, rich, uh, composted soil layer. A lot of our soils in this area don't necessarily have a ton of that, uh, especially in new developed areas. If you bought a new home in this county, a lot of times the topsoil is scraped off or worked away in construction. You're running hard equipment over the ground and then they're basically selling you your house and it's like concrete. So a lot of times we've got to do a little extra effort to amend those soils and to build up that soil structure again for our gardening purposes and i know that that red clay here in murfreesboro it, it tracks into people's homes like crazy oh yeah it, it's pretty rough it <laughs> is i have many of a pair of pants that's stained and they'll never be the same i've been out working on a garden project especially khakis i ought to know better than to, to kneel down <laughs> in khakis in a clay soil area because that soil's never coming off your pants again with us this morning extension agent justin stefanski and you are part of the extension office right here in murfreesboro down the street from sam's wholesale Club club on John R. Rice Boulevard, as we mentioned a second ago. Uh, what else should people be kind of thinking about or, or planning this time of year? You know, right now, people are already getting seed catalogs in the mail. I guarantee if you're a seasoned gardener, you're already thinking about what are you going to grow next year? And this is an excellent time of year to start planning and prep 
prepping your garden. I always tell folks to look at your garden space and to plan ahead, lay it out. You know, crop rotation is something that applies to even the smallest home garden. So if you grew tomatoes in one spot this year, you obviously do not want to grow those in the same spot next year. We would want to rotate with a plant that's in a different family, such as beans or let's say cucumbers. And the same is said for any of our main plant families. If you grew cucumbers here, you'd like to grow something like tomatoes the next year. So plan your garden out. Figure out what type of varieties you're going to grow. Uh, you know, that's one of the biggest things I get questions about is what type of tomatoes should I grow? What type of cucumbers? And we've got literature available for you uh, there at the office. You can call us. You can email us. We'll be glad to help you with that. But Start prepping now. Don't just go to the garden center on a Saturday in May and come home with a truckload full of plants because that's not necessarily the best way to do things. But it really does make that big of a difference just by rotating where you plant the tomatoes this year versus next year? Huge difference. Uh, so if you think about a tomato plant throughout the growing season, you're going to lose a certain amount of leaf tissue from diseases. You know, I don't think you can grow a tomato in Tennessee that's not going to encounter some type of a disease issue. We have way too much humidity and moisture. So those leaves will hit the soil surface and then any of those spores that that are left over they are going to reactivate the following gardening season so if you were to put tomatoes right back in that exact same spot any of the disease tissue that was there from the previous season is just going to go ahead and sporulate and create more disease problems for the next season so if you put your tomatoes in a spot where there was a cucumber the previous season cucumber diseases don't necessarily have anything to do with tomato diseases so you are safe and crop rotation is so essential for minimizing problems in the garden I would say that's something most people don't think about. They don't, unfortunately. I, I've I've talked to so many folks and they said, well, I've grown tomatoes in the same spot for, you know, 10, 15 years. And I say, well, that's probably one of the problems because you have had 10 or 15 years of a disease, basically a disease bank in your soil. Uh, and that soil needs to be rotated and, and those plants need to be in a new spot. What, what about a raised bed garden? Is that better in some ways? I mean, obviously it, it's easier for some folks to lean down into, but is it better as far as you're able to put your own soil in fresh. I don't know if better is the right word, but it is certainly going to, I, I'm a huge fan of raised bed gardens. This is what I do at my house. Um, they're extremely productive because like you said, you can add your own soil. So if you're thinking about doing a raised bed garden, you're basically gonna fill that with rich, beautiful garden composted soil either in bulk or in bags and it is probably going to be way more nutritious than our native soils here that's just the reality of it uh, in raised bed gardens in terms of how many things you can produce per square foot it's going to be higher at least for the initial couple seasons now just like any other garden though raised bed gardens will have to be amended and that soil will have to be fed as you go on from year to year but i'm a big fan of raised bed gardens in a lot of cases in our area it's essential simply because a lot of folks don't have the soil depth or they don't have an area in their yard that's suitable for, you know, a couple of feet of, of root growth down into the soil. So doing raised beds, uh, it's the way to go, in my opinion, for a lot of folks. Again, we're talking about lawns and gardens this morning. If you have any questions, feel free to call or text those in, 615-893-1450. We're going to take a quick break to check on the traffic, and then we will be right back. Again, if you'd like to call in or text us to talk to Justin Stavansky, feel free to do so, 615-893-1450. Time right now, 839. Hi, this is Amanda at Animal City. I'd like to invite your family to come do business with my family. We are Murfreesboro's locally owned pet store. Let us help your gift shopping be less stressful this year. May I suggest a gift for their pets? Our experienced staff can help you pick just the right thing. We also have gift cards. And as a bonus, pets never say, uh, thanks I guess, and then ask you for a gift receipt. 
You can find your local pet store, Animal City, here in Murfreesboro on Broad Street. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street, across from the tall NHC building. All of the proceeds that we generate from our store goes directly back into the ministry for those programs that Greenhouse has. So we would just encourage people to come out and take a look. The Garden Patch offers competitive prices on name brand clothing, furniture, large appliances, household items, toys, and more. Shopping at the Garden Patch helps Greenhouse Ministries inspire, give hope, and change lives. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street in downtown Murfreesboro. Good morning. Traffic's still busy, but it's moving, leaving Wilson County as you make your way towards Nashville. It's busy also on 24 up through the Hickory Hollow area. All that traffic volume coming up through Rutherford County right now into Davidson. Lots of radar throughout parts of Rutherford County this morning, especially uh, as you get uh, closer to Coffee County. Hey, Ripley's Aquarium and the Smokies, they're hiring. Check them out online at ripleys.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Let's learn about Adams Place, the area's premier senior living center. We're talking with Terry Deal. What are the advantages of Adams Place offering different types of care? Well, if they're starting on the independent living side, when the time comes for them to go to assisted living, then it's just a natural progression on our campus to move to that next level of care. This takes a lot of the the responsibility off of the adult children having to make decisions for their parents because their parents have already made the decision. Adams Place is what I'm going to call home, whether it is the independent living, the assisted living, or the continuing care, I'm still calling Adams Place home. Adams Place has a full calendar of events uh, in each of our different levels of care. What if you want to have friends over who don't live here? What I like to tell people is that when you move to Adams Place, you really are not changing your lifestyle. You're changing your address. And if your lifestyle still includes friends coming over to play cards or to have a social event with you or family coming over to spend the afternoon or spend the night, that is what you need to continue doing. It's part of your lifestyle, and we want that to continue. This is Terry Deal. would like to invite you to come visit with us at Adams Place. Just give us a call, 615-904-9111. We'd love to show you around our beautiful community. Hi, this is Hannah Fox of the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Please come shop with us for all your Christmas gift needs. We have wonderful gift ideas in our gift department. We have a great selection of Carhartt clothing and other fashion clothes. We also, in our pet and bird section, have everything you need for your feathered and furry friends. Come see us at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. You won't believe what you'll find at the Co-op. 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off of South Church. The Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Please come see us. We're broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios. Middle Tennessee Electric, supplying the good neighbor station with power to our 328-foot tower. Middle Tennessee Electric, proudly powering your community. Time right now, 842. You're listening to WGNS. And again, we're talking lawns and gardens this morning. And Extension Agent Justin Stefanski with us on the air today. And uh, before the break, we actually had a text message question saying that Last year, I planted mint in my garden, and uh, I guess he planted it a couple years ago, but he said last year it started overtaking all of the garden. What can I do 
to get rid of this, but not fully get rid of the mint. Do you like mint juleps? Because you should probably start utilizing some of the mint in your garden. Uh, you know, this this is probably one of the issues that I see a lot with mint. It will tend to naturalize. It reseeds like crazy. It doesn't necessarily come back from the actual root system, but it just reseeds. It's an annual here. And it is extremely aggressive, and it will outcompete a lot of our other garden plants. So really the best thing you can do is as you start to see those seedlings pop up in the springtime, try to pull them out, just like any other garden weed that we deal with. And you have to almost treat it like a weed because it will absolutely take over. And really, in all honesty, if this person doesn't necessarily want the 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 uh, mint coming back year after year i would try to eradicate all of it if possible because every time that it puts out a new seed bank we call a seed bank is the deposit of seeds each season it's going to continue to perpetuate for years so really the key thing is, is just try to catch it early pull it out if if you do want to grow mint i highly recommend doing it in pots or in containers or doing it in a raised bed area where you're not afraid if it basically takes over but if you've got it planted in a garden spot where there's good soil and there's conditions for it to reseed it's going to do so it's like the uh, like the kudzu of the garden it almost. absolutely is the kudzu of the garden yes i've had mint uh there was one spot in my yard i planted it five years ago and i haven't touched that spot it's neglected but every year i have a nice little mint patch that comes up so it's very resilient now, I read somewhere there's, there's different types of mint you can grow. I mean, there's some mint that's, I guess, imported. There's some mint that's, that's native to America or Tennessee. But I, I didn't know there's so many types of mint. There's a, many varieties of cultivated mints out there now, and they all have different flavors. You know, I think when you're a chocolate mint, pineapple mint, there's your good old-fashioned really spearmint. Can you difference? You can, and it's slight, but there's definitely a difference in flavor. And even the leaves and the foliage look slightly different. Um, and it, if you go to Martin's Home and Garden, this is not a plug for them, but I know that in the springtime they will have, I bet they have different mints probably in about 20 or 30 different varieties. So it's always incredible to me how many mints there are. And I love mint. I'm a big fan of it. I love the smell of it, like putting it in teas and things like that. So, uh, But again, be cautious if you're putting it in your garden because it will take over. So apparently it's really easy to grow too. Very easy to grow. Uh, if you're a gardener that has struggled with other herbs, you know, a lot of times folks will have issues with their herbs they get root rot you know if you try to grow lavender or things like that here with our heavy clay soils they hold moisture so well that a lot of these these herbs do not like that that moisture in the soil is prevalent so they get root rot is what we would call it and they die mint is not one of those plants it can work uh, wonders in a soggy spot and it doesn't seem to bother it at all so if you've got an area let's say down by a, a gutter downspout where you just need something to cover up for the summer and to smell nice and it will produce a flower as well if you let it so uh, you know in the right spot mint is a great plant to just naturalize in certain areas so totally unrelated but the, the whole kudzu thing got me thinking about all of this uh, when people are putting barriers between their yard and the neighbor's yard they're putting up bushes I see some people putting up bamboo, but isn't bamboo another one of those plants that just will take over and grow like crazy? Absolutely. Bamboo is a lot like Bermuda grass. And if we think about Bermuda grass, it's the one that will run under your sidewalk, under your landscape edging and pop out on the other side. Bamboo does the same thing with its root system. So it will send out a very fibrous root that will go out for feet and feet and feet, and then it'll pop out new shoots, you know, every six or seven inches. And it grows incredibly aggressive. Now there's a native 
thing called river cane. And if you've ever looked down by creek banks here in Tennessee, you'll see river cane. Uh, and it was utilized by Native Americans to use for uh, making arrows and things like that. But bamboo is not native. It is from Asia, Southeast Asia, and it outcompetes our native vegetation here. And that seems to be the case with a lot of the invasive plants we have is they, they have no natural control. There's no other plant that naturally knows how to control it. And there's no insect predators that ha tend to keep the population down. And bamboo will absolutely just run amok if you let it. So bamboo, not the best idea unless you literally don't care if it overtakes your yard. Exactly. Or if you really don't like your neighbor, just plant the daylights out of it and it'll creep and crawl all over their yard. But no, I don't recommend it in a spot where it, it needs to be maintained because it will take over. So you brought up river cane and I'm curious, I started thinking sugar cane. Can you grow stuff like sugar cane here? What are some I guess more interesting things we could grow or plan to grow for this upcoming summer that we haven't well, you don't hear a lot about because uh, I, I can't imagine something like sugarcane growing here. I mean, you could, but it's not going to be as, as productive as it would be in the Caribbean. One of the things that has really caught on here in recent years is pawpaws. Are you familiar with pawpaws? No clue what pawpaws So pawpaw are. is the closest thing to a native banana that we have. And these grow out in wooded areas here. If you go out hiking in the springtime in Tennessee, just about in any, uh, in the central basin here, with this is our our region here within the National Basin, you will see pawpaws growing in the forest. And they're an understory tree. And by that, basically that means they grow underneath the canopy of larger trees. And the leaves will be anywhere from about six to 10 inches long. They're long, narrow leaves. It almost looks like a hickory in, in some regard, the leaf, but they will produce a fruit and it will be similar. Now I say a banana, don't expect it to produce what we would call a banana in the store today, but the fruit itself is, is similar. It's the closest thing we have. And I'm seeing more hybridized cultivated varieties. We actually have several at our demonstration gardens there at the office at Lane Agri-Park. Uh, and it's, you know, a lot of these native plants, we can, we can talk about that briefly too. You know, native plants are really catching fire. And folks have been more conscious about pollinators, about our bees, butterflies, our pollinating insects. So a lot of these native species have really started to catch fire. And, the, and people are using them simply to produce more uh, flowers that are going to grow well here. They're suited for our conditions. They have naturalized in our areas. So, you know, those type of things are really starting to become popular. So this pawpaw plant, does yes. it look like a banana or does it taste like a banana? What What is that similarity? It's probably more taste than it is look. Okay. Um, you know, we say that it's the closest thing to a native banana, but that really is a misnomer in some ways. Uh, but the fruit itself will have kind of a fleshy taste similar to a banana. Now the appearance itself, the actual tree, and the actual fruit are not necessarily similar at all. But if you want to look it up, it's P-A-W-P-A-W, Pawpaw. Uh, I bet a lot, of, a lot of folks that grew up in this area are familiar with them. They're kind of an old-timey type thing, and, and they were used, and they were a food source for many of our, our ancestors. But they kind of lost favor over the last, let's say, 50 to 75 years, but they're starting to come back in popularity. Interesting. I, 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 never, I guess I never even heard of it. Yes, and, and I think now at garden centers, if you were to request them or ask for them, they'll get them for you because I know that there's some folks growing them now. I have two in my yard. They've done great. I have planted them and neglected them, and they have appreciated the neglect. So they are extremely robust, resilient, drought tolerant, uh, and they do really well. That's pretty cool. Uh, this next text, this person says, I was recently overseas in a mountainous area and noticed they were growing 
what equated to coffee or coffee beans in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Is this something I could grow here in Tennessee? Unfortunately, probably not. Uh, just, you know, the way if you think about where it was growing up in the higher elevations, it takes a very specific soil, number one. They like well-drained soil on a slope. And a lot of times here in, in Middle Tennessee, especially in, in Rutherford County, there's very few spots that we have what I would truly call well-drained soil. A lot of our soils just hold water. And they need very specific climatic conditions from a humidity standpoint and from an environmental perspective. So um, you can certainly try to put some coffee beans in the ground and grow them, but I do not think that you're ever going to have much success with them. And I say coffee beans, not the ones you get roasted at the store, but you have to get the raw seeds that are still, you know, they haven't been touched through production means. I just don't think they would do very well here, though. I, I can't even picture how coffee beans grow. I guess I never really, really even thought about it. Uh, so do they grow in a tree or are they in the ground? What are they? It's more of a, well, they can be both. They can be a shrubby bush or a tree. I remember I was in Hawaii several years ago and I was in uh, on the big island and near Kona, Hawaii. Kona coffee is, is probably one of the most I've popular. Heard of it, yeah. And there was a, a plantation, a coffee plantation called Heavenly Kona Hawaiian Coffee. And we were probably at an elevation. It was on the slope of the volcano and it was probably at five to 10,000 feet, somewhere in that range. I couldn't tell you where. And it was basically trees that were about five to ten feet tall, and they were absolutely covered in the the beans are actually grown inside of a fruit. So the fruit itself will be at about the size of a marble. It'll be green or reddish in color, uh, and they were just absolutely covered. But again, it was a, such a specific microclimate up in the mountains, just the right conditions. Uh, the soil was well drained. That volcanic soil, they really love it. So they did well. That's pretty interesting. I, I mean. Most people don't even think about that. They just mm -mm. think about buying coffee at the store. Absolutely. But they think Kroger grows it all, and they, they do right. a fine job. But, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it's it really incredible. Cool if you ever get a chance to go to a coffee plantation, it'll, it'll change your life if you like coffee. <laughs> what, what are some other plants that we could grow here that maybe folks don't really think about even trying? You know, I, I, the, the new thing is edible landscapes. You know, that seems to be the buzzword. Go out there so, your front yard. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, we, we've spent so much time and money on cultivating perfectly round green shrubs. So looking more into some of those things that are productive, there's so many great varieties now of cane fruits, of blueberries. You know, these are not new and exciting plants, but they're plants that people are starting to realize have a value not only from an aesthetic standpoint. You know, if you look at a blueberry, the plant itself is beautiful. Yeah, you know, in the spring and in the fall, they come out with a, a vibrant purpley red foliage. They produce a beautiful flower right before the blueberries will set fruit. Uh, and they're just very pretty plants. And there's different varieties that will stay more shrubby. Uh, they're, they're not going to get overly big in the landscape. Also, some of our cane fruits, you know, a lot of folks are apprehensive to grow blackberries because they have the thorns but there are so many new varieties that are thornless uh, and they're extremely productive and if you think about a blackberry if you think about the ones that we have growing in the wild it takes two years for a single blackberry cane to produce fruit a lot of our new varieties will produce fruit on the first year's growth so a lot of these plants are out there they're available uh, and folks are starting to catch on to hey these have a very aesthetic value in my landscape plus i can go out there and graze in my front yard and enjoy it and i know exactly where my food is coming from so that that type of a trend seems to be catching on as well i mean it's a really cool idea to imagine you know your landscaping that looks perfect also has the value of you can go out there and eat it a but snack in cool your front idea. yard yeah. absolutely i like it and speaking of landscaping i know a lot of folks 
they're probably thinking about landscaping. Maybe they're not thinking about it this time of year, but when planning ahead for landscaping, do you have to do anything special in order to plant stuff like a, a blueberry bush or tree in your front yard? Specifically blueberries, yes. Now, blueberries like acidic soil. So a lot of our soils here, the pH will be a little bit too high. So what would I recommend doing if you ever want to plant blueberries is just do a soil test. And those tests can be taken into our office there at uh, you know 315 John Rice Boulevard, and we send them to our lab in Nashville. Nashville, and that will give you a specific catered recommendation as to what to add to your soil to amend the pH before you plant blueberries. A lot of folks will plant the blueberries and then they'll call me two years later and say, hey, my plants don't look good. They're not healthy. They're not, they're not growing well. And I said, well, did you soil test or amend your soil prior to planting? And of course, the answer is always no. So blueberries specifically have very specific soil requirements. So soil testing is key. Trees and shrubs, you know, it's not as vital but I certainly recommend soil testing just because, you know, especially if you're in a new construction area, that soil there, there's no telling how much topsoil has been taken off. There's like the quality of it's probably pretty poor. So doing a soil test can never hurt. Uh, and this is actually the best time of year to plant trees and shrubs. A lot of folks don't know that, but planting in the fall any pretty much any time throughout the winter, as long as the ground isn't frozen, is ideal for doing landscaping. So plant trees right now or shrubs right now? Trees and shrubs, absolutely. Okay. So basically what you're doing is you're allowing those plants to get acclimated to our soil conditions and actually start to put out roots prior to the next season's summer. So those, if you planted a tree now, it's going to basically have a chance to set roots and start to acclimate before it gets really hot and dry in June, July, and August for next year. Again with us this morning, Extension Agent Justin Stefanski. And before we close out the show, we only have a couple minutes left. Uh, again, tell us about some of the upcoming programs and classes and how we can go about signing up for those. So some of the exciting things we're going to offer in the new year. So in January, I'll be doing a four-part series with another Extension Agent, Mitchell Moat, in our office. It'll be a vegetable garden basics series uh, and this will begin on January 17th and it'll run through February 7th it'll be an evening class from 6 to 9 p.m. and these will all be available on our website so if you go to our website it's rutherford.tennessee.edu these will all be there you can sign up or you can call our office 898-7710 to enroll in these classes the master gardeners will be doing an additional garden basics course that will go into a little bit more detail it'll begin on March 2nd and will round up on April 6th and it'll also be an evening class class. Uh, so that's another thing that is certainly, if you're new to our area, I highly encourage you to sign up for these classes because you're going to learn basically the essential information that you need to grow a garden. Uh, on February 25th, that'll be a Saturday from 9 to noon, I will be doing a pruning workshop. This is probably one of the this is one of my passions is pruning. I always see people that don't prune properly, especially around town here this time of year. The landscapers will go out and start, I call it crepe murdering. They'll go out and murder <laughs> the crepe myrtles and it drives me nuts. So I preach the gospel of good pruning. So on February 25th from 9 to noon, I'll be doing a pruning workshop. It'll be a hands-on class. It may be a little chilly, but I highly encourage you to sign up for that. And I'll also be doing a small fruit workshop. This will cover things from blueberries to pawpaws to cane fruits. Uh, anything you can grow from a fruit perspective, that'll be March 18th to Saturday from 9 to 12 there at our office as well. Now, most of the classes are free other than that Master Gardener program, right? Most of them. Now, the Master Gardener Garden Basics will be a small fee, but the rest of the ones that I've mentioned here uh, will be free. And the Master Gardener program, again, if you'd like to sign up, December 1st is our deadline and it's $175. But now these classes, you will walk away with so much more knowledge than when you first entered the building because 
you guys really do teach a lot. Yes, we do. And that's our goal. You know, we want to send you home with, with a, a new insight, new perspective, and to give you enough information to be successful. Uh, and hopefully you won't have to call us to, to come out and look at a, a dead or dying plant. People don't call us out to look at good gardens. They only call us out to look at bad gardens. So if I don't see you, I guess that's a good thing. But I certainly appreciate when we do get to go out and look at stuff. And again, the Agriculture Extension Service is located on John R. Rice Boulevard, just down the street from the Sam's Wholesale Club. And uh, easy to find for the most part, I think. Very much so. We're in a great spot. And, you know, my goal coming into that office was I want to make that office the epicenter of agricultural education, especially for home gardeners. So, uh, you know, come by, visit us. We have so many great demonstrations there, and we're going to only increase those as we go forward. And uh, one of the few that has a vineyard yes. actually next We've to it. We've got our own vineyard. So that's also, a, you know, again, in the fall, it's usually in September get that on your calendar come out it's free you can come out and spend the day with your kids and it's it's a wonderful opportunity to go home with some grape juice and a fishing pond and a fishing pond <laughs> open to the public that's right it, now can folks go out there and fish anytime the ag center is open or how does pretty that much work? you can go out whenever you want to yeah as that's long as you're cool. respectful and you 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 know there's a sign there that has some rules on it we certainly ask folks to adhere to those rules but yes that is open to the public and you can go fishing sounds great again justin stefanski joining us this morning from the agriculture extension service here in Mer Bro, serving all of Rutherford County. Well, Justin, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Time right now, 8.59. We have more news and information coming your way next, live on WGNS. I'll look at local news with Ron Jordan in just one minute. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.